0: Oh, hello and welcome to Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. I'm your host, Ken Larimer. And no, we don't have a blender. We're all out of mint and the espresso machine on the fritz. So all I'll be serving you is a big glass of what is happening around the sports world. If you enjoy the podcast, please like and subscribe to the YouTube. And if you are listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Remember, you can find the videos I talk about in my post-show Twitter thread, at SportsOTRocks. On today's episode, my NFL Week 10 no-cap recap. Draymond the choke artist. Murder on ice? Rory McElroy is a whiny bitch. Gianna says no more Mr. Nice Guy. And of course, last call. But first, the Broncos foot the Bills. I predicted another stinker of a Monday night football, but I could have never predicted what we witnessed this Monday night. And that's what makes the NFL the best product in all of sports. This game gave us plenty to talk about this week. A Russell Wilson scramble on fourth down in the red zone that resulted in a Cortland Sutton toe tap falling over Matrix-like catch. James Cook fumbles on the first play of the game, only his second in 241 career touches. He would kind of get benched for Latavius Murray after that, but would end up coming back into the game in the third quarter, where he would also have a muffed handoff credited as a fumble to Josh Allen. And then, probably one of the coolest fumbles I've ever seen, which happens on a 42-yard rush where a defender knocks the ball out of his hand, it hits the turf, bounces directly back into his hands in stride. Only adding to his bizarre performance, Cook somehow logged 109 yards on only 12 carries. Josh Allen did his very best to help offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey lose this game. Not that he needed any help, but Josh Allen throwing to a player in a Broncos jersey twice in this one, and of course, the muffed handoff I just mentioned to Cook, which bring his turnover total to three in this one. It was the final Broncos' drive for the win that would have fans and bettors alike scratching their heads. Wilson and the offense get just outside of field goal range with 35 seconds left, and on a 3rd-and-10 play, Wilson gets bailed out by the refs on a ball aired out yet shorted somehow. Predictable defensive pass interference puts the Broncos at the Bills' 20-yard line. Broncos kneel the ball twice, force the Bills to use their remaining timeouts, then on 3rd-and-13, The Broncos decide any time on the clock is not worth the risk, and they kneel the ball again. And they hope they can get their kicking team set up with a running 23-second clock. Now, to set the stage, Broncos kicker Will Lutz would hit field goals from 40, 49, 40, but miss an extra point and also muff an extra point attempt. So why would they try to rush the game winning field goal with a running clock instead of attempting it on third down? And as I'm thinking that live, the Broncos run their special teams onto the field. Lutz puts it up and it misses right. The Bills win after a tightly fought game, but oh wait, there's a flag. The Bills had 12 men on defense. Lutz lines up a little closer, kicks the game winner, Broncos win. Denver not only covers against the spread again, but wins straight up and this game goes under, which I gave out during the wager lounge. My gambling picks video I release on YouTube and TikTok. The internet jumps to the conclusion the NFL is rigged, but sometimes bad football leads to bad plays. And this Monday night football was full of them. The NFL has set the bar so low with these primetime matchups, which I ranted about on this past Monday's A Little Chaser, which you can always find on YouTube and TikTok at SportsOTRocks. But like any toxic relationship, the NFL is sending us two dozen roses at work with the next Monday Night Football matchup, rematch of Super Bowl 57 between the Eagles, who head to Arrowhead to face the Kansas City Chiefs. And I, for one, forgive you, NFL. And now, my NFL Week 10 No Cap Recap. We start on Thursday Night Football as the Panthers visited Chicago in the Toilet Bowl, a race to the bottom of the league. Though Chicago holds both teams' 2024 draft picks. There would be 12 punts in this game, but it was the third that Panthers return man Amir smith marsett would break for a 79-yard touchdown, the first for a Panthers player since 2017. The Amazon broadcast would even throw up the flag graphic in disbelief that it was even possible, but there would be no flags thrown on the play. It would also be the only time the Panthers would see the end zone in this game, as the Bears' defense would log three sacks on Bryce Young, but seemingly brought pressure on every down. With Justin Fields still out with a thumb injury, Tyson Badgett would remain at the helm. And to show how much the Bears trust him, they would run the ball 37 times. And Deontay Foreman would log the only offensive touchdown in the game, along with 80 yards on the ground. Panthers head coach Frank Reich, on 4th and 10, would decide a 59-yard field goal by Eddie Pinheiro was their best chance to win and had this to say postgame. I've seen us make 60-yarders in practice. Uh, Felt like there was a little bit of a breeze at our back if you just look at the pure percentages, I think the pure percentage play is to kick it. You know, um, you know, it's, it's the, the fourth and 10 conversions, probably 30% conversion, and 60 yard field goal is higher than that. He was wrong. Bears 16, Panthers 13. An eight and a half hour flight to Frankfurt, Germany later, the NFL early, early game would continue to haze new international fans by making them watch subpar football, And even worse, the American kind. Three field goals, a Jonathan Taylor rushing touchdown, and a Mac Jones benching, leading to a Bailey Zappi fake spike interception later. And the best headline from the last international game of the 2023 NFL season would be the cool roof that retracts into the scoreboard. If only we could think of similar technology here in the States, where a stadium roof is retractable. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe someday. Rumors swirled all week that Robert Kraft would fire Belichick if the Pats returned home without a dub. While that remains to be an unanswered question, in my expert opinion, the tank fest for Caleb Williams has begun. The early, early game state side overall would be a game worthy of a halftime nap. Some people are saying. But if you follow me on Twitter at SportsOTRocks, you would have woken up to a 9-1 to parlay winner. Colts 19, Pats 6. In the battle of the new-age quarterbacks, the Texans and Bengals seem to have found love in a Buckeye place as C.J. Stroud and Joe Burrow combined for 703 passing yards. With four minutes left in the fourth quarter, Joe Burrow, trying to make a play to come back from a 27-17 deficit, throws a pass to Tyler Boyd in the end zone, but Burrow's jersey blindness continues to come back to haunt him as cornerback Shaquille Griffin comes down with Burrow's second interception on the day. But just three plays later, C.J. Shroud, who has all but solidified himself as Rookie of the Year, now trying to make a case he is the NFL's MVP, steps into the pocket and says, anything you can do, I can do better, and throws a pick of his own. After a quick mix and touchdown and a three and out by the Texans, Burrow says, throw me the ball and watch what I do with it and drives his team down the field after a 64-yard pass to Tyler Boyd, who racked up 117 yards receiving on the day, but would find himself wide open in the end zone on third and goal, and deciding he is going to take a break from catching touchdowns today, leaving the Bengals to kick a game-tying field goal to notch the game up 27-27. to This leaves too much time on the clock for Stroud, who would take his team down the field in five plays and set up Matt fresh off the couch at Mandola for a game winning field goal. Go CJ. That's my CJ. Texans thirty, Bengals twenty seven. Someone must have given Josh Dobbs a sock, because he has become master of Minnesota. Finding a touchdown on the ground, and TJ, you small, me big Hawkinson, for eleven receptions, 134 yards, and a touchdown, the Viking season might not be lost after all as they jumped out to a quick 27-3 lead, but after the Saints leader Derek Carr gets absolutely walloped and knocked out of the game middle of the third, it's Jameis time. Winston comes in and does what he does best, throw touchdowns and interceptions, as he would throw a couple of each to both get the Saints within eight and keep them within eight to lose a close one that was never truly close. Vikings 27 Saints 19. Mike Tomlin tells offensive coordinator Matt Canada, how you gonna do it if you really don't want to coach by standing in the box? And invites the coach to join the team on the sideline to get a new perspective. This theory hasn't worked for Kenny Pickett, however, who has as many passing touchdowns as he does losses in his last six. Two. It has worked for the Bash brothers, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, who looked unstoppable and combined for 183 rushing yards and two touchdowns on the ground. There is plenty of love lost as Jordan Love throws another two picks, now 10 on the season, the last ending the Packers' chances at spoiling the Steelers' hopes of staying in contention for the AFC North title. But Steelers minus three betters rejoice as the Steel Curtain squeaks one out again and are now 66% straight up and against the spread. Steelers 20, Packers 16. The Titans still not taking my advice on traveling with a tank of fresh Nashville air for Derrick Henry. And it shows, as the Bucks limit him to 24 yards, and Baker Mayfield remembers, Oh yeah, Mike Evans is pretty damn good. Targeting his 6'5 receiver twice as many times as last week, and connecting for six receptions, 143 yards, and a touchdown. What doesn't show in the stat sheet is the underthrown and overthrown passes to Evans that could have and would have been touchdowns, but let the guy live a little. Speaking of bad passes, the Titans have found themselves in a will-Levis, won't-Levis situation, and we may have jumped the gun on crowning him the next big thing, as he seems to slowly transform into Tannehill 2.0. He was, however, sacked four times in this game, threw a pick, and the Titans still don't know what it feels like to win on the road. The Bucks win their first game since October 1st. Bucks 20, Titans 6. In a game that analysts predicted might be a preview of a potential Super Bowl matchup, the 49ers took that personally. Brock looked pretty good throwing for 296 yards and three touchdowns, while CMC continues his Offensive Player of the Year campaign with 147 all-purpose yards and plenty of dust for the Jags' defense. San Francisco's real estate market might be inflated, but the 49ers' defense found a home pretty quick in the Jags' backfield, sacking Trevor Lawrence five times and limiting the Jags' backfield to just 59 yards on the day. To add insult to injury, the 49ers' DBs Warner and Hafunga tell Lawrence, here, son, take my strong hand, as they intercept the QB twice and snag a much-needed win out of a bye after dropping three straight. 49ers 34, Jags 3. Deshaun Watson came into this tough divisional game, oh, allegedly, with high hopes that were quickly dashed on the second play as Raven safety Kyle Hamilton says, thank you, sir, may I have another, and takes one to the house for a pick six. Lamar Jackson was no choir boy in this one either, as the running back, I mean quarterback, is so competitive, he also had to throw his own pick six. But this time, when it mattered most, as the Browns' Greg Newsome takes it 34 yards to tie the game up in the fourth quarter, 31-31. As long as they kick the extra point, oh no, he missed the extra point. It's now 31-30. The Ravens have eight minutes to run the clock and control the result of the game. But after six plays, find themselves punting back to the Browns and like a massage therapist in Houston, confirming an appointment between 2017 and 2021, think to themselves, what's the worst that could happen? Twelve plays and the rest of the game clock later, they watch Dustin Hopkins' 40-yard field goal sail through the uprights and Cleveland rocks for maybe the last time. As Deshaun Watson announces he will have season-ending shoulder surgery, leaving the Browns in QB limbo. Browns 33, Ravens 31. On to the 4 p.m. slate, we start with the Battle of the Birds, where Kyler Murray traded in his gaming headset for a football helmet for the first time since December 12th of last year and quickly reminded us... I'm fast as fuck, boy. (laughs) Still fast as fuck, boy. Murray was elusive and avoided lots of contact, only taking two sacks with this porous Cardinals O-line in front of him and getting the ball out of his hands quickly, all thanks to tight end Trey McBride, who collected eight receptions for 131 yards and has Kyler Murray asking, Did we just become best friends? Why it took Falcons head coach Arthur Smith 10 weeks to figure out he should be running their offense through Bijan Robinson, who logged 22 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. Your guess is as good as mine. Adding to Arthur Smith's incompetence, Taylor Heineke was limited to 55 yards in the air and 34 on the ground before exiting the game with injury, which gave Desmond Ritter a chance at validation for his recent benching. Ritter would take the Falcons on one of the most uneventful 15-play drives ending on a fourth and one run up the middle for no gain to keep the score 22-17 Arizona. The Falcons D would end up forcing a punt and give their offense roughly six minutes for a game-winning drive that would end with a Ritter rush, but a missed two-point conversion that would come back to bite them in the end. Leaving too much time on the clock for Kyler Murray, the Cards would drive right down the field and kick the game-winning field goal as time expired. The Cards get their second win of the season. Cardinals 25, Falcons 23, headed to Dallas where the Cowboys were favored by the largest NFL spread of the 2023 season, minus 17 and a half. If you are a professional like myself, you may have bet the alt line minus 20 and a half. New tight end Jake Ferguson is a problem at the goal line and would score his third straight touchdown, C.D. Lamb would be unstoppable and snag an NFL record third game this season with at least 10 receptions and 150-plus yards. He would go 11 receptions, 151 yards, and a touchdown in this one. And not even be the yards leader on his own team as Brandon Cooks stretched his legs for nine receptions, 173 yards, and of course a touchdown. Little touchdown action. We have grown to love Tommy DeVito off the field after his comments to the media that he still lives at home with his family in New Jersey and enjoys his mom doing his laundry and, of course, home-cooked meals. On the field, the Giants quarterback by default, with Tyrod Taylor and Daniel Jones out, would actually throw two touchdowns against a stiff Dallas D. But they don't call it garbage time for nothing, as he would only throw for 86 passing yards well below his prop of 160 and a half. This game was definitely not the best competition, nor the best to watch. But, if you follow me on Twitter, at SportsOTRocks, I gave this 18-1 parlay out before game time, and like the Cowboys, you were a winner. Cowboys 49, Giants 17. Lions and Chargers and points, oh my! 79 points to be exact, 954 yards of total offense, all decided by a game-winning field goal. But before we get to that, both QBs with plenty of time to throw with neither defense logging a sack and both offensive lines doing well under pressure. Justin Herbert connects with Keenan Allen for 11 receptions, 175 yards, and two of Herbert's four total touchdowns in the game. On the other side, Jared Goff connecting with Amara St. Brown, eight receptions, 156 yards, and one of Goff's two total touchdowns in the game. Goff getting a little more help from his backfield as David Montgomery makes the best of his 12 touches breaking 116 yards which included the sick 75 yard touchdown that Montgomery credited to Jamison. him to, you know, be able to run and go block for me. And it also shows how fast he is, too. I was running as fast as I wanted. He was jogging. He's still managing. So I'm a little hurt about that, but I'll just suppress those feelings later. Ten of the last 11 drives in this game ended in a touchdown, but it was the last drive with the game tied 38-38 where head coach Dan Campbell would go for it on fourth and two at the Chargers 26 inside field goal range, not willing to have faith in his defense with a minute and 40 left on the clock. Some would say... He's got some pretty big cojones. I would say he lacks brains. But unlike the Tin Man, him and the Lions definitely have heart. Goff hits tight end Sam Laporta for six yards for a first down. Kneels three times to bleed the clock. Then Riley Patterson knocks a 41-yard field goal through the uprights. The Lions cover the minus two and a half. And Detroit keeps their spot at the top of the NFC North. Lions 41, Chargers 38. The Commanders and Seahawks started in Seattle with a bang, as Sam Howell only needed four plays to hit Brian Robinson Jr. for a 51-yard pass to open the game up and has us thinking we are going to be in for a shootout. We would then see six punts and four field goals and go into the half, tied up 9-9. This game would pick up the pace in the fourth as Howell and Geno would get into a pigskin measuring contest and go drive for drive to see who would have the last score. It looked like Howell's 35-yard touchdown pass to Dayami Brown with 52 seconds left would take us to the finish line, but never count out Geno, who would find Metcalf for 25 yards to get into field goal position for Jason Myers, who would knock through a 43-yarder to win the game, his fifth field goal on the day. The Hawks do it at home. Seahawks 26. Commanders 23. And we'll wrap up my NFL Week 10 No Cap Recap with the Sunday Night snorfest that was the Jets versus the Raiders. I will not waste any more of your time talking about this game. This game was awful. And NFL, please, 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 stop giving us the Jets in primetime. Bluff. Ken and now for some quick NFL notes out of that Panthers Bears game Justin Fields leaning towards starting pregame was doubtful still in a lot of pain moving on to week 11 they have the Lions he's listed as questionable says he wants to play if I'm Justin Fields and the Bears I sit this one out he is going to get absolutely destroyed by the Lions D the Lions pass rush I can see Aiden Hutchinson in the backfield all game I say sit this one out, but if on the Bears, you got to figure out what you're doing with, with Justin Fields. You most likely have two picks in the top three. Looking ahead, I've already talked about the tank for Caleb Williams. You have Drake May coming out as well. The Bears need to figure it out. So whether he plays this week or the week after, he will start this week, and they probably will let him play the remainder of the season, no matter what their win total is, to figure out if they need to be drafting a quarterback with one of their two top three picks as they have the panthers pick and their own and they are terrible this year the panthers looking more and more likely that they should have kept their pick over dj moore because this season is a lost season and dj moore has not looked like anything exciting and if you have that pick you can probably go out and get marvin harrison jr who looks like a generational wide receiver bryce young also last year's number one pick Seems like he's getting a bad shake. The Panthers' O-line is awful. I think if you put him on the 49ers, he's a stud. I think you you put him anywhere with an offensive line, I think he's a stud. And it's unfortunate because he'll probably live and die in Carolina um, and never win a championship. But he will be a millionaire. So, not all bad. Moving on to Colts-Pats. Mac Jones, officially not the guy. Will be a serviceable backup for somebody, but he is not a starting quarterback. He looks absolutely terrible. The Pats are bad, but Mac Jones is terrible. I've honestly I've watched too many Pats games this year, and uh, even playing against the Colts, you gotta throw up more than six points against the Colts. The Colts are bad, uh, but it was nice to see Jonathan Taylor get his legs back under him uh, and find the end zone after his early season contract dispute. So. Nice to see him hit the ground running. Moving on to Texans-Bangles. I told you to bet CJ Stroud for Rookie of the Year. I told you much earlier in this podcast. He was plus 650. I said, snag it at plus 650. Then it was plus four. I said, take it at plus 400. Now, the odds have dropped to minus 1200. He is the by far and away favorite to win Rookie of the Year. And for good reason, as he has 15 touchdowns and only two interceptions. Could arguably be an MVP, if not for Patrick Mahomes. But we'll see how the voters handle that at the end of the season. The Texans, plus 270 to win their division over the Jags. I love it. If I were to pick between the Texans and the Jags in the playoffs, I would be riding with the Texans all day. I do not trust Trevor Lawrence. I don't trust the Jags offense. CJ Stroud... When they are down, you anticipate that he is going to win the game. It's not often you feel that way about a rookie. Flashback to Bryce Young. Do you ever feel that way with Bryce Young? No. The Texans are not much better. So then why does he have 15 touchdowns and two interceptions? Because he's better. And he's your rookie of the year and potentially your MVP. Also, it's nice to see Devin Singletary. Uh, I always think of him as a Bill. Um, He is a Texan. And he's healthy. And he got 30 carries in this one. 150 yards and a touchdown. He was an absolute beast. But CJ Stroud, he's the type of quarterback he can make anybody around him good. Now, obviously, the threat of the run is helpful. But I think the threat of CJ Stroud is helpful to the run. Now, there's been games where uh, Noah Brown or Dalton Schultz or, uh, you know, even Tank Dell have like 150-plus yard games and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think C.J. Shroud is good. I think he makes his receivers and offensive playmakers around him better. And that is why Noah Brown in this one has seven receptions for 172 yards. And, and every week it's somebody new. It's what, great play, it's what great QBs do. Make people around them better. And it's what Joe Burrow does as well. As Jamar Chase might always actually be open. As he had five receptions for 124 yards and a touchdown in this game as well as Tyler Boyd, who, despite the drops when it counted, nagged eight receptions for 117 yards. This game was closer than it probably should have been as C.J. Shroud turned the ball over three times, but the Texans had a lead almost the entire game. And the Bengals are at risk of not making the playoffs in a tight AFC North, but we'll find out more about that this Thursday on Thursday Night Football as the Bengals head to Baltimore and play the Ravens. Finally. Our prayers are answered. A good game in prime time. Blessed. Moving on to the Saints at the Vikings. That Dobbs trade looks like it was a good one, huh? Comeback player of the year odds drop to 650. DeMar Hamlin's still the far and away favorite. He finally makes his way onto the field. Makes a tackle this week. His odds are minus 250. They were as high as minus like sixteen minus 1600 at the beginning of the season. Um... I think it's you. if you die on the football field and you come back and make one tackle, I think that's probably worthy of Comeback Player of the Year. But we'll find out. Depends on how good Dobbs is, I guess. Justin Jefferson looks like he's heading towards starting any week now, which is very surprising. I thought with that hammy he'd be done for the year. But, I mean, it, it looks like modern medicine is catching up with these injuries because I feel like we have these torn ACLs. Saquon Barkley is the last person I remember uh tore his ACL MCL all the CLs and he was back by the end of the year after surgery it was pretty wild um all the news with Aaron Rodgers saying he's going to start by the by the end of this season he's going to come back and play uh Robert Salah coming out and saying if he wants to play he wants to play uh apparently he tore his MCL I guess he's better now I don't know how that works now with um I feel like these injuries would be like year, two-year injuries. Now they're back within a few weeks or in the same season. It's pretty wild. But I'm excited. Justin Jefferson, looking like he's either going to come back in week 11 or 12, uh, says that he won't start until he's 100% healthy. Um, But that thought flips. You got to think when he sees Josh Dobbs can take them to the playoffs and the season isn't all lost without Kirk Cousins. Um, But the Saints receivers... They can't stay out of handcuffs this season, which I'll, I'll talk about more on a, a Little Chaser coming up next week, because um, I would like to talk more in depth about that. But between Alave going 35 over, Thomas in a scuffle with a contractor near his home, Derek Carr might be the problem. He might be driving his wide receivers insane with all of his awful passes, But they don't have to worry about it anymore because uh, Derek Carr injured his right shoulder and got a concussion in this last game. And he will most likely be out at least another week. But head coach Dennis Allen still believes he's the starter over Jameis Winston, which is news to anyone watching Saints games. Allen should be fired, if not soon, at least by the end of the year. He is clueless and the offense has been awful under his watch. He's allowed it to happen. And to be honest, I'm starting the free Kamara petition now. Get him on a winning team. Free Kamara. Free my boy Alvin. But moving on to Packers-Steelers. Bet alert, TJ Watt, plus 230 for Defensive Player of the Year. So far, he's notched 10.5 sacks, an interception, and 30 tackles. He's up against Miles Garrett, who, right now, plus 140, has 11 sacks and 28 tackles. So head-to-head, I think TJ Watt finishes the season strong. Miles Garrett, nothing to snuff about. But you're giving me plus 230. I might do a little, a little sprinkle action on that. Uh, especially with Steelers-Brown game uh, coming up this week, week 11. Uh, has the potential to be the most boring football game of the season. Deshaun Watson announced season-ending shoulder surgery. And Kenny Pickett looks like a statue. I imagine the punters getting lots of work in this game, the teams leaning heavily on their running backs. This coming up Steelers-Browns game screams under, and the early line is 33.5, and I love it. Packers also rolling out their old school jerseys next week, so they can lose to the Chargers in style. That's exciting. Next, we have the 49ers and the Jags. CMC's touchdown streak is snapped at 17, leaving him tied with Hall of Famer Lenny Moore for the all-time record, first achieved in the 63-64 season while playing for the Baltimore Colts. Welcome to the team, Chase Young, who already gets half a sack. And the Jags feel the pressure early and often. Looking forward, the Titans bring their 0-5 away losing streak into Jacksonville next week, which should be a get-right game for the team. But then the Jags go into a gauntlet of at-Texans, home versus Bengals, at-Browns, and home versus Ravens. The 49ers, however, remain my NFC Super Bowl pick. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, you can still grab it at 5-1. to one, And that number will continue to drop every game that they win. Falcons-Cardinals, I have nothing really from this game other than Arthur Smith's an idiot. And now that Kyler Murray is back and he's healthy, it's a very quick reminder of how much fun it is to watch him play. He is a video game. He is Michael Vick reincarnated for 2023. He is the turbo button in real life. Kyler Murray is incredible. I will most certainly bet on him and lose in the near future because the Cardinals do suck. And uh, the Cardinals are always a losing bet. They will always play a close, close game and not cover. And I will take the money line and I will lose. So thanks for that, Kyler Murray. Welcome back. Uh, Giants Cowboys, that game was awful. Tommy DeVito already announced as a starter for week 11 by default. As I said before, there is nobody else to start. They are fully on tanking. Uh, Brian Dayball, I don't even know if he's trying to save his job. It might be an understanding like, we're going to tank. We're gonna get uh, a really good quarterback and potentially some offensive happen uh, and potentially some offensive weapons for him in the draft. And next year will be a playoff team. And that's what he's selling to ownership, maybe. But um, the Cowboys, uh, uh, they have another stinker. Week 11, they're playing the Panthers in Carolina. But follow me on Twitter at SportsOTRocks because I am looking to post another big parlay announcement. Because I love the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to hammer the Cowboys against the Panthers. Bryce Young is going to look so small against Micah Parsons and that defense. I am going to predict six sacks, two interceptions. I'm going to say five touchdowns for the Cowboys at least. You better believe I'm probably riding with Jake Ferguson again for his fourth straight game with a touchdown. CD, it's a lock. Put him in for 100-plus alt-line receiving yards. Um the Cowboys against bad teams, they are a Super Bowl contender. Against good teams, remains to be uh remains to be said. But this game against the Panthers is a bankroll-building game. But follow me on Twitter at sports OT Rocks. Um, and I'll release that parlay just before the game. Lions at Chargers, probably the most exciting game of the day. You can't ask for more than 79 points from uh The Lions, who are one of the most feisty teams in the NFL. And the Chargers, who I don't know what their deal is, but one thing's for sure, Justin Herbert can sling it. And Keenan Allen, um, when healthy and not dealing with his hammy injury, uh, is a stud. Um, But I did see a pretty crazy picture of, um, uh, which I'll show you right now, his post-game interview in a game recently. And his AC joint is poking out of his jersey and i had to do some research online and find this graph to show what is under that jersey and as you can see it looks like he has a stage 3 ac joint sprain and it makes his bone bulge out of his shoulder and he plays like that which is wild so and apparently this injury is from his rookie season in 2013 so this man plays with his bone poking out of his shoulder So it's not just the hammy. It's not just that he's a slightly older receiver with some miles on him now. His bone is poking out of his shoulder. So give him credit. You know, when he sits a game or he looks a little slow in a game or he takes a big tackle and he gets up a little slow, he's doing his best. The man has a walking injury. Give him a break. But I'm happy for the Lions I'm looking forward to uh, watching them in the playoffs, as I said on an earlier episode of Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. Um, They're such a fun team to watch. They play so passionate. There was even a quote from Jamar Gibbs uh, that came out on, I think it was Pat McAfee's podcast, where he says that Montgomery uh, came into the game after their long run and literally asked Jamar Gibbs if he wanted the touchdown And if he did, he would go back to the bench. And Gibbs was like, yeah, I'll take the touchdown. So Jamar with two on the day as opposed to one, all thanks to David. Um, And that just speaks to the coaching, the culture, the camaraderie that's in that locker room. And that's the type of stuff that wins a Super Bowl. Now, I don't think they're coming out of the NFC, but they will be a real problem for whoever they face. And maybe a bounce goes their way and we see them in the, uh, the NFC Championship. Would love to see them in the NFC Championship. I think one of my most ideal Super Bowl matchups would be like Lions-Dolphins. Dolphins, Dolphins, obviously. But Lions-Dolphins, Dan Campbell returning to Miami where he was the interim coach. Uh, Really nothing to prove. I don't think they left on bad blood. He was the interim coach. They needed to hire a coach. He was the guy to get them there. Um, I think he landed in a fine place. I don't maybe he has it written on the wall somewhere like gonna prove them wrong i don't know but lions dolphins i would love to see that super bowl would love it would love nothing more and i'm happy for jared goff too uh i i've said it before i think he got a, a unfair shake in los angeles um obviously the rams are in a much worse place stafford can't stay healthy um and I, I think when the trade happened, everybody felt bad for Jared Goff. They're like, wow, he went from a Super Bowl contender to the Lions. But who got the last laugh, right? Uh, I really don't have anything on the Commander Seahawks game. It was a fun game to watch. Uh, a, a trash talk, Sam Howell, a little bit uh, after his last performance. But I mean, dude, three touchdowns in this game. Uh, the Seahawks D is not very good, but. I mean, you throw three touchdowns and over 300 yards in an NFL game, you're a starting quarterback. Um, And Geno matched him, obviously, but the Commanders were in this game. I think they have their quarterback in Sam Howell, and now it's time to build around them. Obviously, they had some big trades this season with uh, getting rid of Chase Young and, uh, and Montez Sweat. But sometimes you have to get rid of players like that to rebuild your team. And rebuilding around Sam Howell and Brian Robinson Jr. and Terry McLaurin uh, is a good start, and I think they'll make some good pickups in the draft. In that hierarchy of the uh, the NFC East, uh, I feel like the Commanders are right there. I don't I don't know if it, it always plays pretty close. I think that division always plays close. Uh, whoever makes it to the playoffs does not have an, a, a way like fourteen wins. They're always around ten wins. Uh, nine wins so if the commanders can build through the draft uh, i think they have a bright future ahead especially with sam howell at the helm and lastly as much as it dreads me to talk about it a little bit of jets raiders um aiden o'connell and zach wilson you have my prediction now will not be starting quarterbacks in the nfl next season and uh as i said before I'm so tired of watching the Jets in prime time. Um, the Raiders, however, with Antonio Pierce as their interim head coach, smoking the cigars after every win now, uh, it, showing just how much they all hated Josh McDaniels and uh, and uh, Garoppolo, uh, that they're celebrating uh, regular season wins with cigars in the locker room. But... Good for them. Have fun. I'm never one to, to naysay fun. I'm a fun guy. Hoo uh-huh. hoo. But, uh, yeah, but that wraps up my quick NFL game notes. Uh, it was a great NFL week. Multiple games ending on field goals, high scoring games, lots of offense in most of the games. Um, but it was a truly exciting NFL week 10. I was sad to see it go. But looking forward to week 11. And we'll talk more about it next week on Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. So make sure to tune in next Wednesday. But for now, I take you around the sports world. Free Draymond. By now, if you watch sports in any capacity, you have seen the choke heard around the world. After a scuffle between the Warriors' Clay Thompson and the Timberwolves' Jaden McDaniels that left Clay's jersey ripped, a full mosh pit ensues with the players on the court that ends up with Draymond Green grabbing Rudy Gobert in a rear naked chokehold. Refs, coaches, and players trying to get him to stop choking him for what looks like around 8 seconds on the video. Now, I won't argue that this looks terrible, but. Some quick thoughts on the incident. Draymond and Rudy have had beef that goes back throughout their careers, which makes sense as they are two of the best defenders in NBA history, with 14 all-defensive team nods and four Defensive Player of the Year awards between them. Draymond seems to be protecting his teammate in the video, and even though it seems rash, I'll always support that. Rudy Gobert truly is French, because the man is 7-1, 258 and looked genuinely shocked he was in a physical altercation and did his best deer in headlights impression. The NBA did not seem as thrilled with the scuffle as I was as they handed out a five-game suspension to Draymond Green the next day and no one else. The five-game suspension will cost Green about $770,000 in lost salary. The NBA announced in a statement The length of the suspension is based in part on Green's history of unsportsmanlike acts. To some, the NBA suspension seems not enough. To others, it's too much. But to me, it's ludicrous. And for reference, here is a breakdown of NBA incidents and their ensuing suspensions, and you can be a judge for yourself. Nikola Jokic basically tackling Markeith Morris, who experienced glass concussion symptoms and missed the next four plus months of play. One game. Grayson Allen grabbing Alex Caruso's wrist and throwing him to the ground on a fast break resulting in him breaking his wrist. One game. Dylan Brooks aggressively driving into Gary Payton as he goes up hey, under go, the basket. Gary Payton breaks Gary. his elbow, misses a month of the playoffs. One game. Serge Ibaka grabbing Marquise Chris by the neck and throwing punches at his head. Three games. John Morant shows a gun on social media twice. 25 games. It doesn't make sense. The NBA and its commissioner, Adam Silver, are just handing out suspensions based on vibes. I imagine Adam Silver with the magic conch from SpongeBob SquarePants, and he whispers into the magic conch, magic conch? How many games should I suspend Draymond Green for? He pulls the string, releases it, and then it answers. Maybe someday. Scuffles like this are what made people, me, fall in love with the NBA in the 90s, or as us old folks say, the glory days. Some of our fondest basketball memories are the malice at the palace, MJ and Miller, Shaq and Charles, the Bulls and the Knicks hating each other for years. And we can even go back to October 18th, 1977, When Kareem punched the first overall pick, Kent Benson, in his first NBA game, Kent would be left looking like this. Kareem would break his hand, and there would be no suspension, but only a $5,000 fine, which, adjusted for inflation, is $25,000 today. This whole story just adds fuel to the fire when people accuse the NBA of going soft, and everybody just wanting to stand on the three-point line, and all contact is a foul. I'm tired of Adam Silver weakening the product we watch. I yearn for the NBA of old, where physicality was rewarded and not fined. And I think it's time we free Draymond. Murder on ice. Hockey players are finding out that blades are sharp, and all it took was someone losing their life. An arrest was made this week, two weeks after former NHL player Adam Johnson was cut by a skate blade during a collision in a Champions Cup game in Sheffield, England. According to the AP, video of the incident showed Johnson skating with the puck toward the opposing net, when Matt Petgrave skated toward Johnson and collided with another player. Petgrave's left skate kicked up as he began to fall, and the blade hit Johnson in the neck. Johnson, unfortunately, would later die in a local hospital, and the South Yorkshire Police would launch an investigation into the incident. This past Tuesday, they would arrest Petgrave on suspicion of manslaughter. Now, I don't understand what this investigation could possibly uncover that we don't already know. Unless this story gets even more crazy, and there was actually intent behind Johnson's death, but I do feel like this story is straight out of Final Destination. How many times have you watched a hockey game and seen someone get hit with a puck or a stick or just in general getting demolished by a check? It's a brutally violent game, played on sharp blades. The players wear pads and helmets, only some wear face guards or even visors, but no one thought to wear a neck guard? something so simple that could save a life? Save Adam Johnson's life. It is a very human thing to wait until something bad happens to make a change. But after this incident, some NHL players have begun to wear neck guards during practices and gameplay. NHL general managers met in Toronto to discuss cut resistant equipment and overall protection. And the AHL and the ECHL affiliates and the Western Hockey League announced they would mandate immediately neck protection devices. The NHL announced they cannot initiate any mandates because they have to, of course, negotiate with the Players Association, but they will promote the use amongst the league and players are free to wear extra protection as they see fit. Again, this story, very sad, as Adam Johnson lost his life to a freak sporting accident. I hope his family makes it through to the other side of this, but if his death means the prevention of many more deaths, it will not be in vain. Rory McElroy is a whiny bitch, and his recent comments to the Irish Independent only reaffirm that, as the golfer gave us a little more insight to help us understand what him and Patrick Cantley's caddy, Joe LaCava, were fighting about on the 18th hole at the Ryder Cup this past September. According to him, he was bothered by the fact when the Americans were putting, he would try to quiet down the rowdy European fans, but when he was putting, he was not extended the same courtesy. Wang. Even mentioning in the interview that he ignored texts and calls from Tiger Woods, who attempted to remedy the spat. LaCava famously began caddying for Tiger in 2011 and was on his bag for the 2019 Masters Comeback win. Now, I thought this story was weird when it happened. It seemed like country club activity. Somewhere in Connecticut, there is a similar argument going on and one of the golfers is yelling, do you know who my dad is? Rory is one of the best golfers in the world. He is always a fan favorite. He is great for the game of golf, but Rory McIlroy is a whiny bitch. Leave Jonas alone. Last week, Jonas was ejected for dunking in Isaiah Stewart's face then briefly staring him down and heading back down the floor. This is only Giannis' fourth ejection in his 11-year career in the NBA, and it is the softest ejection I've ever seen. The dunk was a poster, and deserving of the stare-down, and even the too-small he performed on the way back down the floor. It was done all in competitive fun, and Giannis is one of the most respectful players in the league. The ejection was a surprise to everyone, including Giannis himself, who took it personally. The man gets smashed every game, going to the rim. Most fouls don't even get called. And do you ever hear him complain? No, he doesn't tell anyone how to do their job and just goes about his business. But this call really got Giannis going, as he then followed the ref, who gave him the second tech in this game, which ejects him from the game, two techs, you're out. And he's clearly asking, What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? The ref continues to walk away and tells Giannis he's gotta go, he's gotta get out of the game, and then we get one of the coolest Giannis moments of his career, and honestly, it's kinda badass. Giannis takes a seat courtside next to a fan and tells the ref he's gonna have to make him leave. Now, that is cool enough, but a video surfaces shortly after, from the fan that he sat next to and it is as awesome as you think it could be. This goes back to a point I made earlier of how the NBA is trying to produce the softest product and probably losing fans over this new wave of anti-personality, anti-aggression, and what will inevitably be anti-fan. An NBA, for the love of God, leave Giannis alone. And now, last call. The Michigan cheating scandal has made me a Michigan fan. As a Miami Hurricanes fan, I feel like my shared dislike of Ohio State football makes it easy for us to be allies in this war. And I'm here for it. But it's the way this whole story has played out that really makes me want to go blue. From the beginning... With information leaks originating from anonymous sources about ticket purchases for games, The Athletic obtaining photos of now-former Michigan assistant Connor Stallions allegedly on the sideline of a Western Michigan game camouflaged in WMU apparel and Ray-Ban video camera glasses to the Big Ten suspension of Jim Harbaugh for the last three games of the season to punish the university. This clear takedown attempt screams... If you can't beat them, accuse them of running a cheating scandal. But now that this suspension has been handed out to Harbaugh, and the Big Ten is getting flack for such a swift action, Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti has shared with the public what the NCAA showed them, and it is pretty awesome. Titled, The Master Spreadsheet. The evidence included a large detailed chart that included the names of various people assigned to attend past and future football games involving Michigan's opponents, assignments for individuals to attend past and future games involving highly ranked non-Big Ten football programs, notes about whether attendance would be necessary at games based on various win-loss scenarios, the 2023 schedules of Michigan's football opponents, color-coding to reflect past games attended by individuals and future games in which scouting would be needed, the names of people assigned to cities and certain areas of the country, and monetary costs for scouting some games. So, like, just your average scouting stuff? Nothing really weird. More on Michigan scouting consultant Connor Stallions being on the sidelines of games. On October 2nd, 2021, during a game against Wisconsin, Stallions was standing shoulder-to-shoulder with the university then defensive coordinator. On November 22, 2022, in a game at Ohio State, Stallions watched the opposing sideline, then made gestures to the Michigan defense in reaction to the signals being provided to the opposing offense. In the college football semifinal last season, Stallions was standing next to Michigan's defensive coordinator and talking to him while intently watching what was happening on the field and or the TCU sideline. Also, there was lots of other corroborating documents, photos, videos, significant interview recordings, which according to the Big Ten, confirm the existence of the impermissible scheme. Now, if you hear all this and you think, wow, I can't believe Michigan would do this. They're ruining the sport and they deserve to be punished. You're a loser. And I bet you love a loser team because that's loser talk. Every team in any professional sport looks for any advantage that they can get. And Michigan clearly does it the best. Does that deserve punishment? Eh, maybe. Now, this story does lose me. Just slightly. With the treatment of Harbaugh, like he's some holier-than-thou martyr being persecuted for something he had no idea what was happening. He's a football sicko. From a football sicko family, he for sure knew something was going on, and he for sure pissed somebody off who ratted them out. But what I don't need is interim head coach Sharon Moore crying after the win at Penn State this past weekend. Oh, Coach I love you, man. I love the shit out of you, man. And for you. Looking to the future. The university and Harbaugh currently are awaiting a court hearing Friday, where a judge will weigh in on whether to grant a restraining order that would nullify the Big Ten's three-game suspension. The ruling will be especially pertinent because Michigan has a shot at their 1,000th win on Saturday when they visit Maryland. Then will face Ohio State in Ann Arbor the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I, for one, hope they do keep him suspended. Not because I think Michigan should be punished or I don't approve of the actions Connor Stallion's carried out and the football program almost certainly participated in, but because I love drama. Go Blue. That wraps up this episode of Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. I was your host, Ken Larimer. If you like the podcast please like and subscribe to the YouTube. I appreciate it. Not only do I post the podcast on the YouTube, but I also post my weekly gambling content called The Wager Lounge. And I also throw up uh, my quick shot stories called The Little Chaser, which are great to listen to. Um, If you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, subscribe, like, share. Thank you for your ears. And... What a great sports week. I'm looking forward to next week. It was great to see you all again. I was uh, had the uh, pretty intense flu for like two weeks. So there was no podcast. But we're back. New format. I'll be dropping some fresh content almost every day, every week. Podcasts new on Wednesdays. The Wager Lounge usually them for Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football as well as A Little Chaser, which is my series with, again, those quick shot news stories and and current events going around the sports world. But thank you again for listening. Please follow, like, subscribe. If you want to keep up with me outside of the podcast, follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, at SportsOTRocks. Heading to the weekend, bet responsibly. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the podcast next Wednesday. I'll see you on the Wager Lounge Sunday night. And don't forget to tape your bartenders. See you later.